Good morning. Welcome to Discovery's Digital Gathering. We are glad you're here. We are excited for what God has in store this morning. We want to invite you to download our app, which will help you stay current with our community and get further connected by filling out our new visitor card. Let's prepare our hearts for worship and for the adventure of discovering the good news of Jesus together. Beautiful Sunday, three-day weekend, and it's just really good in the middle of all that to be together to worship and to take communion and to open scriptures. So along those lines, would you meet me this morning in Luke chapter 5, if you have a Bible with you. Luke is uh, in the New Testament, one of the accounts of the life of Jesus. And we're in Luke 5 today, but we're beginning a new conversation. It's our, our uh, conversation about our vision for the year. This is always a little bit of a different kind of teaching than what we normally do. Often what we do here at Discovery is we go through a book of the Bible or we, or we do like a deep dive into a particular topic. Recently we looked at the topic of Scripture. Last fall we looked at the Gospel. What does that mean? Um, and then from time to time, like last Sunday, we also go through one of the practices, right, the spiritual disciplines. But today and for the next couple of weeks, we are talking about who we are, who we've become, and where we are going as a church, what we're calling Vision 2022. So um, a little bit different kind of teaching, but a lot of fun because I can't wait to share with you some of the things that have been going on and are uh, upcoming for us as, uh, as a church community. All right, Luke chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 27, where we read this. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed Jesus. Then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And in some translations it says notorious sinners, which is one of my favorite phrases. Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The next thing that happens is this. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, they go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in those days they will fast. Then he told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one, otherwise they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins and no one after drinking old wine wants the new for they say the old is better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come into this moment this morning uh, with just all kinds of things going on in our lives. We're, we're busy, we're burdened, we're in the middle of a quarter, we've got uh, kids and, or whatever, all these things that are going on, and some of it is great and some of it is really hard. And so, Father, we bring all of that into this moment, and we simply ask you to hold it for us. 
Just hold it for us for a few moments so that we can be fully present here now, tuned in to your spirit, able to hear your voice speaking to us. God, would you speak to us today? And would you give us the courage to respond to what we hear in whatever ways we need to respond? And everybody said, amen. This past summer, Christianity Today dropped a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, which uh, told the story of this very tumultuous history of a church in Seattle called Mars Hill. And it resonated very deeply with many people. In fact, it was one of the most listened to podcasts in 2021 of any topic, any genre. Everybody was listening to this when it started last summer through the end of the year. And there's a lot that could be said about that and why it resonated so much. But I think one of the reasons that it captured the imagination of many people is because the story of Mars Hill reflects the story of the church in the United States over the last 20, 30, 40 years. It's a story of bigger is better. It's a story of if more people show becomes everything. And, and the podcast asked in some direct ways and in some indirect ways, I think a lot of the big questions that many of us have. Questions like, uh, is the church broken? It, it, it has it kind of like jumped the shark. Is, is there any hope for the future of the church? Is there anything redeemable about the church in America? Are there better, healthier expressions of church? Is, is there some hope that we can move towards as followers of Jesus. Now we believe here at Discovery very much that the answer to those last couple of questions, is there hope? Are there better expressions of church? The answer to those questions is yes. We believe here that God does new things. That there is, as Jesus says in this parable, new wine and new wineskins. Now, one of the ways that we talk about ourselves from time to time is that we're trying to do something new. We're trying to be a new kind of church. And when we say that, I think sometimes we get a little bit confused and we begin to think about like some of the like practical manifestations of church, right? So if we start thinking about music, like, okay, new kind of church. Are they going to do like this bluegrass hip-hop fusion? Is that what they're going to do with their music? Or, or we start thinking about the pastor or, and, and like the teaching style. And is it going to be like... Uh, you know, three-minute TikTok videos or something like that. We, we go right to the forms. Uh, I was uh, uh, reading recently about a virtual reality church that meets in the metaverse. I do not understand any of the words in that sentence. There's a picture of it here. Um, that's kind of interesting, and it's definitely new, but that is not what we're talking about when we talk about being a new kind of church or when we talk about this new thing that God might be doing in our moments. What we are not looking for is a cutting-edge strategy. We are seeking renewal. We are seeking renewal. We believe wholeheartedly that there is a, a God who is living and alive. And this God wants to move in a fresh and new way in our moment, in our context here in Davis, California. We're not just looking for a new model of church. We believe that God wants to bring renewal and we want to join him 
in that. This is what Jesus is speaking about in Luke chapter 5. The Spirit of God is on the move. Jesus is saying, I'm here now. Something new is happening. Don't get caught up in the old thing. Right? We have this, this human tendency to want to stick to what we know or even to want to go back to the old thing, what was familiar to us. And so sometimes we want to go back to the way things were before COVID. Anybody with me on that? You don't have to raise your hand. It's fine. Or we want to go back to the 1950s when over half the population in the United States attended church on Sunday morning. Or maybe we want to go back to the 1500s and to the Reformation and that moment when Martin Luther nails the 95 Theses to the door of that church. Or maybe we want to go all the way back to the first century, right? We've spent quite a bit of time here at Discovery in the book of Acts thinking about the early church. Maybe we want to go back to that moment. Now, those were all great moments, important moments where God moved, where God did something new. And it's worth considering them and thinking about what happened in that and celebrating what God did. But God wants to do something new and fresh here and now, just like he did then. And so the question for us is, are we ready for it? Are we ready for it? Now, I'm just going to cut right to the chase. I think we are. (laughs) I think we are. And one of the fun things about preparing some of the big strides that we've made in the last 12 months. Okay, God has been very good, very gracious to us. We've hired new staff. We've added some elders, some women elders. We've created the deacon team. We've reimagined and relaunched Discovery Kids. They're in their fourth or fifth week now over there having a great time. We have this new expression of community life called mid-sized communities. We're serving our city in some awesome ways. We're we're seeing new partnerships created as we look to serve people here in, in Davis and the surrounding areas. People are discovering the good news of Jesus, getting baptized, being healed, taking that next step closer to Jesus. There's so many beautiful stories from this past year. Which is awesome because sometimes when you come to the vision conversation, what, what you do, and sometimes you don't have to work very hard at this, is you have to describe how horrible everything is right now. Right? Look at how terrible it is. That's why we need to go do this, this thing. Right? This is bad. This is better. We're going in that direction. Now, don't get me wrong. Vision is really important. It's really important. In fact, Scripture says that without vision, we perish. And, you know, to be honest, uh, everything is not rosy in our world right now. We're still in a pandemic. There's still these deep divides in our country and our culture, political, racial division, where I think we're in the very midst of a significant mental health crisis. And the church, right, the capital C church, the church at large seems to be crumbling around us um, I'm on Twitter. That's, that's my moment of confession. <laughs> and I swear, every time I go on that app, there is some new thing that somebody said or some church is falling apart or some pastor did some terror. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Every single day, stuff is happening, and it looks like the whole thing is crumbling around us. But here, 
Here at Discovery, we enter the vision conversation. Again, we're not perfect. We haven't got it all figured out. But we do enter this conversation this year, I believe, in a place of affirmation, not crisis. Because, again, God has been so good and gracious to us. And so I want to begin there. I want to begin with we're starting this conversation from this place of gratitude, this place of gratefulness. And then from that, I want to articulate who we are becoming and, and where we're going to go or where we hope to go next. So to get this thing started, from Luke chapter 5, I just want to name three things, three core truths about renewal. These are big picture, broad truths. When God does something new, when God brings renewal, these things tend to happen. This tends to be how it goes. First thing is this, when God brings renewal, when God starts something new, it begins at the fringe it does not begin in the mainstream. It begins at the fringe with the tax collectors and the other notorious sinners, with the wanderers and the sojourners and the explorers. This is the upside-down, surprising nature of the kingdom of God. It does not begin where you expect. It does not begin with the mainstream. It starts at the fringe. In a new wine moment... In a time of renewal, we should expect to see all kinds of people showing up. Atheists, skeptics, seekers. We should expect to see those who have, who have been or who have experienced spiritual abuse. People who are deconstructing. I know that's a bad word right now, but that's who we should see showing up when God moves in a fresh way. We should see the questioners and the hell raisers, those who are desperate for a different story. That's where it begins. It starts at the fringe. Renewal starts at the fringe. Second, when God brings renewal, when God does something new, it messes with religious people. It's not a joke, but it is funny, I guess. <laughs> It's just true, though. Every time God does something new, it's those who want rules, who want doctrinal purity, who want a safe place to gather holy people together. They get frustrated with the new thing that God is doing. Look at verse 30 of chapter 5. Now, please don't get me wrong on this. Okay, holiness is part of renewal. Good theology is part of renewal. Community, being connected to other Jesus' followers is part of renewal, but we cannot get around the fact that when God does a new thing, it most often is resisted by those who are on the inside. But by those who want the religious system, but not the relationship. And I'm going to be real honest with you. One of the ways that I know that we're on to something here at Discovery, as we've gone through this last three years of of change and transformation and, and new things, the people who have been the most frustrated with that are the religious people. Not the people that we've been reaching, but those who are on the inside. When God does something new, it has this way of messing with people who prefer the religious system over the relationship. Last thing, when God brings renewal, when God does something new, I'm going to mix metaphors here, so just bear with me. But when God does something new, the table gets bigger. When, when, when renewal happens, the kingdom expands. 
And this is hard for us because we have this pattern of smallness. I see this all the time in church circles where we think if we just get down to like the, 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 the faithful few, if we just get the right people in the room, if we just get like these four minds together, whatever it is, we, we, we tend to think really small when what God wants to do is make the table bigger. Think about all the different people represented at Levi's house. Those are all the people that the religious system said, nope, you don't belong. You cannot be in this. This doesn't include you. And in fact, you're messing it up. You're going to make it worse. You're going you're gonna to ruin the purity that we're after. Think about all the people at Levi's house. Think about God's promise going all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 to Abram, later known as Abraham, right? What does he say? I'm picking your family. So there's this exclusive pick, but it's for a purpose, right? To bless all the other families of the earth. That's, pretty, that's a pretty big table. All the other families of the earth. Think about God's promise to his people of Israel when they are in exile, right? This is the worst possible thing that could happen to them. They're in the worst place that they could be, and God says, I'm going to make you, I'm going to, I'm going to restore you, I'm going to do something new, I'm going to make you a house of prayer for everybody, for all nations. Think about the arrival of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2. What, what's the manifestation of the Spirit? It, it's being able to understand different people. And you have all these people from all over the world who have gathered for this celebration of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit comes and they can all speak and understand each other's language. When God moves, when God does something new, the table gets bigger, not smaller. Are you with me? I think this is a huge part of our moment. In the 21st century, I believe God is renewing the church through multi-ethnic communities. And we're seeing that. We're seeing expressions of that here at Discovery. This is a core commitment of ours. We are going to continue to lean into this because I believe this is what God is doing with all of the movement of peoples around the world and the kind of unique place that we are at here in Davis, which is this tiny little town in the middle of California, but people from all over the world come here. I think we're a part of this new thing that God is doing, this multi-ethnic church. So when something new happens, when God moves and brings renewal, it starts at the fringe, it messes with religious people, and the table gets bigger. Now, at the risk of, again, mixing metaphors or overplaying the metaphor, the big idea for our conversation over the next couple of weeks is to then name, try to describe our flavor of new wine, our variety. I'm not a wine guy, so I don't know how to talk about this. <laughs> right, but when... When, when God brings new wine, we want to be able to name what that is. And so part of what we're going to do during this series is, is talk about that. What is our unique flavoring here at Discovery? Maybe a more kind of theological question is, how are we attempting to join the Spirit in renewal? So today, what I want to do is introduce you to a, a graphic. This is uh, supposed to look terrible. Um, because what I'm doing here is just sort of naming like the basic things that every church does uh, or should be doing, I guess. But this is like the generic baseline, right? Inviting people to grow, inviting people to serve, inviting people to belong. What I want to try to do over the next couple of weeks is name our sort of uniqueness. How do we invite people to do these things? So today we're going to look a little bit at grow, next week belong, and then the last week serve. 
Okay? This, by the way, this is not like official discovery strategy. It's the most generic thing I could come up with to make the point. Are you with me on that? Okay. To the growth point on the triangle, our fundamental conviction is that God wants us to grow in love. People who love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and who love our neighbors as ourselves. Or as we like to say it here, people who are growing up in the kingdom of right relationships. So then, if that is the end goal, how do we get there? Well, there's a lot of ways that we get there, but I want to talk specifically this developing this language and these ideas, which are not like new things at all. They're simply a reflection of who we are and who we've become over the last couple of years. So I'm going to talk through a couple of these trade-offs, and then we're going to get to hear a story that sort of brings this to life. So first of all, when it comes to our strategy, we value people over programs. People over programs. We're far more interested in relationships, in you and your story, than on pushing people through some sort of formulaic program. Now, programs, you know, they're not bad. We need good and healthy structures. But Jesus led by focusing on people, and we want to follow his example in that. People over programs. Now, one practical outcome of this is that when it comes to metrics, like what we measure, we prefer quality over quantity. We would rather have 20 people who are madly in love with God and who have their hair on fire to share the good news of Jesus with their friends and neighbors than to have 20,000 complacent people just sitting in a chair on a Sunday morning. Okay, think about this. Jesus changed the world with 12 with 11. That's, that's a Judas joke. He didn't, it didn't take very many people, right, for Jesus to completely change the history of the world. We would rather have 20 people who are totally on fire than to have 20,000 people who are just there. Quality over quantity. Now, this is a really hard thing to measure. And we're working on trying to figure out some ways to do this and to do this better. And one of those things, uh, one of those ways that we're working on this is a, a church engagement survey. Now, when you hear survey, you might think, wow, that, that doesn't sound like people over programs at all. But the idea of this survey is to get to sort of take the temperature of our church community and just sort of see where we're at. Qualitatively, not quantitatively. All right? You're going to hear a lot more about this in the next couple of weeks. I just want to kind of put that idea out there and say stay tuned. All right, second thing. When it comes to theology, we value stories over systems. Stories over systems. You've probably heard me talk before about the three orthos. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy, and orthokresis. Orthodoxy, right belief. Orthopraxy, right action. And then orthokresis, right discernment. Now, all three are very, very important, but what we are trying to do here is to develop disciples who can orthocrete, who can discern what is the most loving thing for me to be doing right now in the place that God has me. Not just people who can recite the party line or tell you the 10 things on the webpage or anything like that. It's about understanding how God has created you to love in the situation that you are in right now. Stories over systems. Third, when it comes to discipleship, we value journeys over destinations. We believe that we're all works in progress. 
And the mark of a disciple is not perfection. It is the direction that you are headed in. It's who you are following. So we care more about the journey than about the destination. Fourth, when it comes to formation, we value wholeness over knowledge. This is one of the reasons why we emphasize practices so much here, spiritual disciplines. We want to try to create an environment where it's okay to try, to experiment, to fail, to figure out what is helpful and life-giving because we are not just brains. We're not just downloading information about God. We want an actual relationship with God. And that's what he offers us. Right? Not just some information about himself. He offers himself to us. And one of the ways, among others, but one of the best ways, I think, to engage in this relationship with God is through the practices. Which are less about getting information into us and more about our whole selves being formed in the ways of Jesus. Last thing, when it comes to the mission, we value the unknown over the familiar. Embracing the the mystery of how the Spirit is at work so that we don't miss out on the new wine. Now, this does not mean that we don't dream or plan. We do that for sure. But we don't move forward from this place of of like spiritual superiority. We've got it all figured out. We've got this great plan to save heathen Davis. No, we move forward humbly, open-handed towards the vision that God has given us. Hey, come discover the good news of Jesus together with us. We're, we're trying to nurture this church family that loves God and other other people well. We're cultivating a good news church for a world that desperately needs good news. We don't have it all figured out. But we're moving in that direction. Now, as I said, there are, uh, I, you know, this is um, great stuff that our deacon team has sort of given language to about who we've become over the last couple of years. And it looks great on a slide and on a flyer and all that sort of thing. But nothing brings this to life quite like the story of someone who's worked through this. And so I've invited one of our deacons, Kayla, to come and share her story with you. So why don't you give a hand to Kayla as she comes now. Good morning. It's very good to be with you. Um, Some important context for the few minutes of sharing my story is my initial spiritual formation was centered on what I'm going to call two. Knowing meant that my relationship with God could be measured, essentially, by how often I read the Bible um, or how much I knew about the Bible. And then doing uh, meant observing or performing a strict set of behaviors that was really based on a specific cultural interpretation of said Bible, right? Um, I carried these views with me through um, college and early adulthood, through seasons of depression and feeling worthless and like I didn't belong. And whenever I felt like a failure, which frankly was quite often, Um, I just figured it was because I had not read enough or I was And by my late 20s, for a number of reasons, I became very disillusioned with the typical expressions of Christianity. But I still wanted to follow Jesus. And I didn't have words for it at the time, but that was the beginning of a period of spiritual deconstruction, which I didn't know was a bad word until Steve brought it up a minute ago. Um, 
And then um, kind of following that, my husband and I started to try to get pregnant, but we found ourselves struggling with infertility, um, which some people find out that they're part of a secret club that they didn't know they were part of um, suddenly in their life. Um, and then I felt really stuck in my job, and that extended into this long period of time. And then, I'm not sure if you heard about it, but um, our lives were upended as we knew them by a global pandemic. So over the course of, I don't know, four to five years, I ran out of all of these places that I had had to, to perform or to try to feel productive and worthy or to try to add meaning to my life. And there were no, there were no answers. There were no steps. Um, knowing and doing were no longer uh, options for me. And then kind of ramping up to that, Discovery was going through some changes. And as a church, we were exploring some new values. Um, and I believe early on for me, the value of mystery was introduced, and it was kind of captured by this idea of focusing on questions instead of answers, and this idea of sitting in tension with God. And that was really sweet to my spirit at the time because it invited me uh, to process my own pain and humanity without feeling like a failure. So I could have my grief and my anger, my pain, without pressure to move on or act stoic and assured that God was going to fix it or say things like everything happens for a reason. Um, and even though through that, I honestly became a lot more present to my own pain and fear, I also became much more present to God and to other people. Uh, not having to have an answer for everything helped me to just be, even in the midst of my brokenness, but still belong. And now as a member of the deacon team, um, I do think a lot about our values and how they play out and how they impact people. And I know that for me, this concept of mystery, of questions over answers, was a really uh, pivotal moment in my shift to a healthier spirituality and also my engagement with our other values. And then I can tell you that today, um, fast forward, most of the circumstances I shared with you haven't changed or they haven't changed very much. But I can tell you that I am changing. Uh, I am both sad that my life has not turned out the way I had hoped or expected, but I'm very grateful for the sensitivity and perspective that grief has given me. And I struggle with parts of the Bible but I'm very compelled by this ongoing story of God redeeming the world. I am less concerned with presenting myself perfectly, but more concerned about whether or not I'm in right relationship with God and with other people. I am more attuned to the brokenness within me and around me, but more hopeful than ever that God really is making all things new. My faith began with a version of God that could fit inside of my head and make sense within my own understanding, but that God was tiny and not enough for the realities of life has opened up new spaces in me to contain those things. Colossians says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God and that in him all things hold together. I don't have a theological explanation for what that means, but I can tell you about how I experience new life on a regular basis in light of not getting the life that I wanted. 
I can tell you that every day I struggle and have to let go or try to let go of the parts of me that want to trust in my own performance or in the possibility of getting pregnant, and that feels like a cycle of loss. And at the same time, these little deaths are somehow being resurrected into the new person that God is making me to be and the life that I'm actually living. So there is disappointment and hope. There's failure and there's growth. There's infertility, but somehow new life. There's death and there's resurrection. Somehow Jesus holds all of these things together and me with them. And I'm certain that this is not something to be understood intellectually, but experienced. So I hope that it's clear by now that I'm not just telling you my story, which you may or may not relate to, but the story of how God is revealed through tension and mystery, and that can be experienced. This is a story that we're all part of, and that's the God that I want to follow and the God I want to introduce other people to. I would love to hear where you are at with tension and mystery. If you are ever interested, we can grab some coffee, preferably Pachamamas, or beer, preferably Dunlow's, and we can share our hard questions and sit together, but not try to solve anything, or we can make space for grief or celebration and talk about the weird and wonderful ways that God is showing up and moving within us and around us. Regardless, I would love to see our community continue to make space to experience God through the mystery and the tension of life. Thank you, Kayla. Um, It takes a lot of courage to share our stories, right? But it is a beautiful thing when you get to hear that kind of story of how God is at work in someone's life. My hope is that you're able to um, maybe chat with Kayla. Um, It is her birthday. You could say happy birthday today. Uh, but even just thinking about your, like, your own place in your story, what has God up to right now? I want to invite the band to come back. And as we get ready for communion, I just want to say a couple more things. The, the beauty of the Jesus story is that it keeps going, right? It is ongoing. And the Spirit continues to move. In every person and in every context, there is potential for renewal. God wants to do something in us. In this place, at this time, and he's inviting us to be a part of that with him. But underneath that new thing is this old story, this story that does not change. Jesus, who took bread, gave thanks and broke it. He gives it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the meal, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the, pay attention here, the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So our strategies, our language, our methods, they may change to meet the needs of our time and place, but it's the same story. It's the same story, the story of the love and grace of God 
the story of a God who loves us so much that he gives himself, gives his body and his blood so that we can participate in his family, in this thing called the church, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of right relationships. Now, this this big story that God is telling and the vision of our church is obviously communal, but I want to end on this very personal note and just ask the question, what is the new thing that God is doing in you? Or maybe, maybe this question, what is the new thing that God is inviting you into right now? And in what way does that new thing tell this old story? Right, the old story of Jesus, his body broken, his blood poured out, reconciling all things. When you're ready, take communion and then join us in worship.